So we've been in chapter 7 for the last two weeks. And during our time in this chapter, we've seen Paul addressing incorrect ideas about sexuality and marriage from people in the church that uh, believe that sexuality is not something to be pursued. Right? One side of this issue is Paul, who does agree to a certain extent. We're going to see that in more detail today, why he would agree with that. Paul thinks that the single life is to be preferred over marriage, and since sex is only meant to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage, he therefore agrees that it's good to be celibate, but not for the reasons why these people think that it's good to be celibate. They believe that the spirit is good and the body is bad, and they're trying to move away from the body into the spirit. And, and Paul's going to disagree with them because um, they are trying to restrict sexual activity from married people as well. And Paul draws the line there because there's nothing wrong with sex within marriage. Uh, that's where Paul, God designed sex to be enjoyed. That's where procreation is, is designed to take place. And so in the first part of chapter 7, we're going to see we saw Paul pushing back on these incorrect values that these people are teaching. Uh, and they've gone so far with these teachings that they were encouraging people who are not able to refrain from sexual activity with their spouse to divorce their spouse so that they can pursue celibacy. Now to this, Paul made it clear that no one is supposed to pursue divorce. Now, these people have the wrong idea. They're, they're taking it exceedingly too far and as they're putting restrictions on people that God never commanded. They're adding to God's law. So Paul says to them, a wife is not to leave her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And if there is a non-believing spouse in this marital relationship, uh, it's good for them to be in a relationship with a Christian because they have access to the gospel that they didn't have before. And so therefore, the Christian should stay in that, in that relationship. Right? Paul says, who knows, maybe through this relationship, your spouse who's a non-believer, your children who are non-believers, maybe they will come to faith in Christ. And along with that, though, Paul also said that if the non-believing spouse seeks to leave the relationship because they have no desire to be married to a Christian, then the believing spouse should let them leave. He said, in that situation, a brother or sister is not bound and God has called you to live in peace. Ultimately, though, as we're going to see in verses 17 to 24 of our passage this morning, Paul is going to encourage believers in Corinth to stay in whatever life circumstances they were called into their relationship with God from. Right? That doesn't mean that we can't change our circumstances. That just means that we don't have to change our circumstances. So are you married? He's going to say, then stay married. Marriage is supposed to be for life. It's not sinful if you're, to be married if you're already married, and it's not sinful to pursue marriage if you're not married but desire to be married. There's nothing wrong with that. And as Kelly read, marriage presents a certain set of unique challenges, uh, but God gave us marriage as a wonderful gift that's meant to represent Christ in His relationship with church to the world. So marriage is a good gift from the Lord. Paul's going to say, are you single? then you should stay single. In his opinion, that's the best spot to be in, and he's going to elaborate on that in verses 25 to 40. We're, we're going to spend most of our time there today. Uh, but with that in mind, let's open up with a word of prayer uh, because there's a lot going on here and we've got a lot to cover, and I could use 
uh, prayer as we get into that. So please pray for me as I pray for our time together. Father, thank you so much for the day that you've given us. I'm grateful that we can open your word and, and know for a fact that it's going to speak into our lives, that there is always something there for us. And what I pray that we would have a heart that desires to move our life into alignment with what your word says. I pray that we would have a desire to bring you honor and glory in all that we think, say, and do. And I pray that uh, the message today brings you honor and glory. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So, beginning in verse 17, reading to verse 24, Paul says this, Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned him when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man in is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he's called. And so in verse 17, Paul tells the Corinthians to remain in whatever situation they were in when the Lord called them to faith. As I said earlier, are you married? Then you should stay married. Are you single? Then Paul thinks that you should stay single. Are you working a job that's not inherently sinful? Then you should stay at that job. You don't have to quit and become an overseas missionary just because God called you to faith. That's what some people believe. They start, they come to faith And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, well, now I have to sell everything that I own, and I have to go on the mission field. And a lot lot of times, that is a hindrance to some people coming to faith. Like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can make that kind of sacrifice. And Paul here is saying, God's not called you to make that kind of sacrifice, at least not all of you. There might be a call on some of our lives to pursue the Lord's ministry for us in that way, but most of us, that's not going to be the case. For most of us, God wants you to minister where you're called so that he can have someone in that context to share the gospel with the people that he has sovereignly placed you around. This is what we see in Acts chapter 17 where God says we were called into faith where we are, when we are, for the purpose of the non-believers in our life having us nearby. They're in the presence of the Lord when they're in our presence because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so no matter what context we're in, we can minister in that context. And so, for example, if you are a teacher, then you should be a teacher to the glory of God. And you should minister to those students and to your coworkers. Right? If you're an administrator at your company, then you can minister to those people to the glory of God while doing your job to the glory of God. And the list goes on. I mean, it doesn't matter what that circumstance is. If it's not inherently sinful, then you can still work in that after coming to faith. Paul says it's good for you to do that. You've, got, you've established relationships there. People can see a difference in you maybe. And they have a relationship so that you can speak into their lives. In verses 18 and 19... Paul brings up something that we are very familiar with after having gone through the the letter to the Galatians really not all that long ago, which is this issue of circumcision versus uncircumcision. 
Right? At this point in time, when Jews come to faith, they're circumcised because of their cultural and religious beliefs. Right? A, Jew, a Jewish male is going to be circumcised after eight days of age. And from that point forward, obviously, you can't reverse that. I was a little surprised here when it said, don't try to reverse your circumcision. I don't even know what that would look like. How would you even do that? But that's the reality of their life. And when Gentiles come to faith, they're uncircumcised. And there's a huge debate around this time on whether people can't, could, had to become culturally Jewish in order to be a Christian. So if you're not circumcised, do you have to be circumcised to have faith? And Paul said over and over again in the book of Galatians, absolutely not. Circumcision and uncircumcision does not matter. Circumcision was a a sign that the Jews were God's people. And now that Christ has come and has sacrificed Himself on the cross, resurrected, now our sign that we are part of God's people is baptism. It's not circumcision. So it no longer matters if you're circumcised or not. And so Paul says, if you're circumcised, do not seek to undo your circumcision, whatever that means, right? Whatever it would require, Paul says, that's not necessary. And if you're not circumcised, you don't need to get circumcised. So he's saying, just stay in the situation that you're in. You do not need to change. In verses 20 to 23, Paul makes a contentious statement. He says, if you were a slave when you first came to faith in Christ, then you should remain a slave. He says that that shouldn't concern them. Now this statement, and others like it, regarding slavery in the Bible, they, it often puts people off on Christianity because it says the, they say that the Bible doesn't outright condemn the practice of owning slaves. And Paul here is saying that a slave shouldn't let the fact that they are owned by someone else bother them. And many people ask, How could Paul say that? Honestly, there's no simple answer to this. I don't have a good answer for you. And Paul doesn't give us any information to craft an answer from this passage. So we're going to focus instead today on Paul's point in saying this. Paul is telling the believers in Corinth, both those who are free and those who are slave, that they should not allow the condition that they find themselves in control or consume their life. Their identity is not that of a slave. Their identity is a believer in Christ. Their identity is not found in circumcision or uncircumcision. Their identity is found in their belief in Christ. The focus of their lives, the focus of our lives, should be to bring glory to God in every circumstance we find ourselves in. Every single one. Some of us are in awesome situations. Like everything that you have ever asked for has come true. Every desire of your heart has been presented to you. You've never struggled. You've never had any hardship in your life whatsoever. And some of us are in terrible situations. Difficulty upon difficulty. And it seems like it's hit after hit and never stops coming. But no matter what our circumstances are, we should make it a point to obey the Lord. No matter what our circumstances are, we should make it a point to bring Him honor and glory. When we have everything that's going well for us, we should praise the Lord in the blessing that He's given us. And when things are just going to to garbage, we should praise the Lord for the fact that this is not our home. 
This is not the end of our story. Paul doesn't say that circumstances can't change. He doesn't say that a slave shouldn't strive for their freedom. In fact, in verse 21, he says the opposite. He says, if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. Slavery was a little different at this time. Most of the people that were slaves at this time had sold themselves into slavery because they were having financial trouble of some kind. And so they would, it's almost indentured servitude. So they would sell themselves into slavery, and then when they could pay that back, they could buy their freedom. It wasn't always a lifelong sentence to be a slave. Paul says if, if you can become free of the slavery that you are in, by all means, pursue that. But, point, but Paul's point in all of this is that all believers everywhere should represent God well no matter what circumstance they find themselves in. We should have it as a desire in our heart to glorify God in all things at all times. After this, Paul moves on to speak to those who are single in verses 25 to 38. Beginning in 25, Paul says, Now virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do have an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. That is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may devote it to the Lord without distraction. So Paul begins speaking to single people by declaring that he's not saying that this is a command from the Lord. Right? By this, he means that this is not a direct teaching from Jesus on the subject of singleness. Right? This is godly wisdom from a faithful apostle who has looked into the world and he believes that it's good to remain single if you have the ability to avoid sexual immorality. Right? So this is not a command. He's not saying you have to be single. He's just saying it's good for you to be single if that is the gift that God has given you. He, he provides two reasons for that opinion that he has. The first one is Paul says that time is short, and because of the present distress, it's better to remain single if you're currently single. And this language that he has used here has led some to believe that there's some kind of a unique historical problem that's occurring in Corinth. Maybe it's famine, maybe it's uh, persecution of the church. Like what, something that's causing distress at that very specific time, but history doesn't point to any such issues in Corinth. Right? At this time, Corinth was an extremely prosperous city. Right? There's, no, there's no issues here that we can see in history at all. 
And, and on the other side of that, there's no indication that the Christians were under any kind of extreme persecution in Corinth. Right? Honestly, that's probably one of the reasons why the Christians were making such a mess of the church. Right? People who are persecuted don't have time to worry about who they can sleep with or arguing back and forth about which teacher they like better. Right? If someone's coming to kick in the door and to take you out and to kill you or to throw you in jail because of your belief in Christ, you don't have time to go back and forth over this nonsense. Right? So the reality is when we look at that, that's probably not what he's talking about. Therefore, it's unlikely that there's a problem to contend with here. What Paul is probably talking about here is the possibility of a swift return of Christ to judge the world and to restore creation back to the perfect state that it was in when it was created. That is the distress that he's referring to, and that is the, the time being short. We have a promise in Scripture that Jesus one day will return from heaven, and when he does return, that is game over for anyone who has not put their faith in Christ. When he returns, there will be a resurrection of the dead. All people will be raised. After the resurrection, there will be judgment. Unbelievers go to the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment that comes when you stand before God based on your own merit and you try to convince him that you deserve to be in heaven. That's not going to go well for unbelievers. Believers don't go to that judgment. They go to the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Now, this is where believers give an account of their lives. This is where we talk to God about what He's given us and what we did with what He gave us. This is where, as I understand it, we're going to either get reward or there will be a rebuke. Paul talked about that a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says we're, it's going to be judged and it's going to be judged by fire. And based on what we built this on, it's going to determine whether the things that we have done in this life stand up to that judgment or whether that it's burned away. That's where this occurs. Paul understands that this could happen at any minute. And so there needs to be a concentrated effort among all believers to focus on getting people ready for his return. Every single moment is another moment closer to Jesus wrapping this thing up. Every single day, every single hour, every single second, all of it is one step closer to Jesus' return. And when that happens, there's no second chances for those who do not have faith in Christ. No second chances. There'll be no more opportunities for you to share your faith with those that you love when Christ returns. It's game over. Paul says, if you're married, don't seek to get out of that marriage. But if you're not married and you can handle not being married, then you should spend your time getting people ready to meet Jesus. Because everyone will one day. There will be a day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. Some will do that willingly and some will be made to say it, but it's going to happen across the board. And Paul's saying if you are single, you have a unique opportunity to get people ready for that. The second reason that Paul gives for the suggestion that single people remain single is that 
Marriage brings with it complications that single people don't have to experience. It's hard to be married, right? Don't say amen too loud. Somebody's going to get in trouble. Paul says that he wants the single people to be without concern. And to be married, there's challenges that come to that. He says the unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord. The married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and therefore his interests are divided. The unmarried woman is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may, be, how she may please her husband. There's a responsibility in our lives if we are married to prioritize our spouse. Right? If you're married, your first earthly priority, your first earthly responsibility is your spouse. That should be where we put most of our time, most of our effort. And secondly, after that, if you have children, your second responsibility is your children. Right? So in the, in the hierarchy of things, it should go God, spouse, children if you got them, church, and then everything else should fall under that. Paul understands that if you're married, you have a responsibility to stay focused on your spouse, and that's a good responsibility to have. But it comes with complications, right? So that means that as a husband or a wife, your ministry starts with your spouse. If you're a father or a mother, then your ministry responsibilities are to focus on your children after they focus on your spouse. And that brings a lot of challenges, Right? Depending on the age of your children, there might not be a whole lot of free time that you have. Right? The health of the children, do you have any children that are sick, that are struggling, physically, mentally? Like that creates problems. I mean, I'm not saying that it, they're not good problems to have. It's just that it's an issue that has to be dealt with. They're worth it. By all means, they're worth it. But it's something that means that if I'm going to the doctor's office over here, that means that I'm not free to go do whatever I want to share the Lord over there. How's the health of your spouse? Right? As we go through this life, we're going to get older. doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're old when your body starts to break down. You never know when, when that might happen. But your responsibility is to care for your spouse. And in the process of caring for your spouse, you're not free to go do whatever it is that you would like to do for the Lord. And this is something that I think about on a regular basis. Right? After bringing Artem and Sophia into our home, that greatly restricts what we can put our focus and attention on. Right? Overseas ministry? No. We have a responsibility to our family. If I were single, I could go and do whatever I want. I remember when the church that Kelly and I were going to when we met, there was a call. I think it was some guys went to Argentina, I believe it was. There was a, a, ministry, a backpacking ministry where they could just, they were supposed to go pack through the mountains of Argentina and they were going to go to all these different villages and they were going to share their faith with the people that they, whoever they encountered as they were just hiking this trail right 
And so one day they made that call. Two guys just said, yeah, I've got time. Let's go. Two single guys went and one of them turned that into a full-time ministry for a long time. But he had the freedom to do that. It's a freedom that he wouldn't have necessarily had if he were married. It was, it's a freedom that he wouldn't necessarily have if he had children. Right? When we have these relationships, we have other obligations. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a ministry to them. It's just that ministry is different. All of these things limit the scope of ministry that we're capable of handling. And single people do not have these restrictions. Right? Free, single people are free to pursue whatever ministry opportunities presents themselves. Note that, though, with that in mind, the freedom that Paul's talking about here is meant to be utilized for the kingdom of God. And right? it's not meant to be a sanctuary from responsibility. Like that, that is an issue that a lot of people have where they, they want to remain single so that they don't have responsibility. They want to remain single so that they can grow up later. Right? They're going to spend all their life living for themselves. I'll spend my money on me. I'm going to spend my time on me. I'm going to utilize my talents for me. And that is not what God is calling singles to. That kind of life is antithetical to what God has called us to, to be as his followers. We're not supposed to focus on us. We're supposed to be pouring ourselves out for other people. And Paul's going to wrap up this letter once again saying, it's not a sin to be married, but it's better in his opinion to be single. Verses 36 to 38, Paul says this, If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, if she's getting beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, he can do whatever he wants. He's not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart or is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiancée will do well. So then he who marries his fiancée does well, but he who does not marry will do better. So if you're here and you're single and you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're acting inappropriately, you should get married. Right? You should get married. And then you get to act appropriately. If you're dragging your feet on getting married and you're starting to feel like this is going on for too long, you should get married. Right? Paul says it's not a sin. It's not a sin to pursue that. But if you have no burning desire for sexual fulfillment, if you're good without the, com the companionship that marriage brings, Paul says it's better to break it off with that fiancé and to remain single so you can have unhindered work for the kingdom of God. And the last thing Paul mentions in this chapter is the expectation that marriage is for life. He's bringing this back around to what he was talking about, about not leaving your spouse. In verses 39 and 40, he says, A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So Paul's very clear that marriage is for life. The expectation is that when we enter into that covenant relationship, it's a three-way covenant where you have the husband, the wife, and God, and that is expected to be until death do us part. If our spouse dies, then we're free to marry whoever we want as long as they're a believer in Christ. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it's not. You shouldn't be unequally yoked. And we talked about that a little bit, where when we get into a relationship with a non-believer, the priorities of that relationship are often at odds with each other. It's a house divided. And so Paul says, you're free to marry whoever you want after your spouse passes away, as long as they're a believer in Christ. But again, in case you haven't noticed, Paul thinks it's better to remain single. I mean, I think he's made that pretty abundantly clear in our passage today. He thinks it's better to be single. If you're married, be devoted to God and your spouse. If you're single, be devoted to God and do many mighty works for His kingdom. See what the Lord can do with your life if you are willing to give Him all of it and be open-handed with it all. Whether that's in your marriage or in your singleness. We should be devoted to Christ in all that we think, say, and do. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to you for the blessing that you've given us in marriage. And Lord, I pray that every marriage in this church would be growing, that every marriage in this church would be uh, strong and would represent your relationship with the church well. Lord, I pray for any who may be struggling, any, any who may be looking at that till death do us part and think, really, is that, is that really how long this is going to last? I pray your blessings on that relationship. I pray that there would be eyes open to the truth, that both members of that relationship would, would strive to bring you honor. And Lord, I pray for those who are in this church and are single. I'm grateful for the freedom that you have allowed them to have so that they can pursue after you. And I pray that that would be the desire of their heart. That they would see their singleness as an opportunity. An opportunity to get after your kingdom. To do much for your name, in your name. And Lord, I pray that you would make that a fruitful fruitful ministry. And Lord, I pray that overall that we would be content in the, in the circumstances that you've given us. I pray that we would have a, a desire uh, to think about all the good things that you've given us. We wouldn't f- focus on the difficulties. And Lord, I pray ultimately that you are glorified in all that we do. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.